3: Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously
2: peer inside the box of oddities. As time goes on with this podcast, we we are getting stories from you freaks of bizarre coincidences involving... The box of oddities.
0: And this is a great example of it. A while ago, we had talked about interesting linguistic quirks, and we got an email uh, from Becky and it said, I love your show. You guys make me feel like I'm maybe not so odd. Thank you for that. I often mess up my words or sentences to the point where my family doesn't even correct me anymore. If I'm telling a story and I mess up my words, my 16-year-old will just say, just go on and I will know what you mean. (laughs) There was this one time that I remember vividly because I was so embarrassed that I must share it with you. I was in my 20s and I was out at a bar doing what you do. It was my turn to buy the drinks so I went up to the bartender I ordered three LeBite's ass. And the bartender looked at me funny and said, what? I didn't realize what I had said. So I was clearly annoyed at him. And I repeated slowly and loudly, three LeBite's ass. <laughs> he just looked at me and said, what is that, French?
2: <laughs> and I
0: realized what I had said. And I pointed to the empty bottles of LeBite's ice.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And I said, three of these.
2: Now- we read that on the podcast, uh, what, a, few, a couple months ago? In June. In, in June. Oh, my God. So Friday night, we, you and I, are, uh, at our favorite local watering hole here in Bangor, Maine. Nocturnum. And, uh, a message comes in from Carrie. Send us an email at curator at theboxofoddities.com. Hello, fellow freaks. So, oh my God, Becky, I was listening to your podcast at work. Yes, at work. You guys get me through a rough day. when all of a sudden, on episode 133, you read an email from Becky about three labites ass. My name is Carrie and Becky was a coworker friend of mine in Ro- in Rochester, New York. I live in Tampa now and I've been looking for her. <laughs> I was just searching for her on Facebook last week. When you started telling the story and said three labites ass, I almost fell out of my chair. She would always get her words and phrases mixed up, and after a while you get used to it and understand her language. You have to reunite me with my fellow freak friend Becky. Give her my cell number and email address. P.S. If you think that story was funny, man, did we have some adventures. I'll, I'll <laughs> bet. The more she drinks, the funnier she is. Love you guys. Keep it weird. Now that That is, I, I try to put myself in Carrie's position. Just, you know, she's looking for her friend mm-hmm. on Facebook. Uh, no luck. Couple days go by. She's listening to Box of Oddities and we're talking about her friend.
0: I got goosebumps when I read that email, and I just, I, it delights me so much. And it the, the fact that LaBite's ass can reunite <laughs> friends yes. after so many years, <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I love it. I love it so much.
2: I'm, I'm becoming a tad emotional.
0: A little. A little. A little.
2: Yes, we will uh, forward your information to Becky, uh, Carrie. In the meantime... Uh, Miss Kat.
0: Uh, yes, hello. You
2: have a story for me.
0: I do. Oh, good. Okay, so uh, during World War II, you know, food and supplies had to be rationed because of the war, mm-hmm. and so people had to change the way that they did things. It just makes good sense, and we all know this, um, but there are some really interesting ways that this changed the way that, that people ate. So there were restrictions on imported foods and vouchers that were given out for uh, things like sugar and coffee and meats and cheeses and some canned goods. And people had to make the most of things. One of the things that became very popular were Victory Gardens. Right. We know about that. The homegrown gardens um, that helped support the overall food supply uh, that could then go to the troops. And it ensured that you had enough like vegetables for your family.
2: I remember hearing stories about Victory Gardens from my uh, grandparents who said that you could walk down a tree-lined street in just about any little town mm. in America and people would have vegetable patches just right in the front yard. Yeah.
0: I I think that's amazing. And I love that it was seen as something that you were doing to contribute. Mm. You know, It was for your country. And uh, I just think that's great. Another thing that became very popular, I mean, it had been popular, but it became like a big thing, was canning. So uh, entire communities would get together to preserve their own food. There were actually neighborhood centers that were set up to help support everyone in their canning efforts. Again, it was seen as a way to support active soldiers. And uh, people who canned food could actually request more than the typical amount of rationed items. So if you canned foods, you might be allowed 20 pounds of sugar rather than five pounds of sugar, which I think is really neat. This is also during a time where people are moving away from homegrown and home canned uh, items. And they're kind of having to go back to those habits, not because that's the way they were always done it, but because it's necessary for the war effort. So this is the time when things like casseroles and loaves became very popular. Because it was just, I mean, it's literally just putting all the things that you can into one food source. Like you pack every meat and veg that you've got together into a loaf, you cook it, and you've got yourself a delicious dinner. Uh, Same thing with casserole. It's just what you had available, you put into it, and there you go. Butter. Butter was hard to get. And most of the world's cooking fats were made in East Asia and Africa, which were inaccessible to U.S. and European folk uh, because German U-boats were dominating the seas. And so... The government also in a need for oil to make gunpowder and uh, weapons and such. Uh, Cheap fat didn't make its way to the public, basically. Um, The British government actually had to urge people not to cook with oils and fats. Um, And usual butter was replaced by national margarine. People weren't into it. Uh, another thing that became very popular at that time was oleo margarine. Oleo, by the way, will come up all the time in crossword puzzles now that we've talked about it. Hmm. Uh, I remember my dad talking about oleo uh, when I was, uh, odd story. It was, I w- it spent my 13th birthday at our camp in a town that didn't have a name because it was so far into the woods. And uh, <laughs> he said something about oleo referring to butter. And yeah. I was like, um (laughs) what now and he was like oleo it's butter and i was like if it's butter then call it butter and he was like no it's oleo but i will always be grateful for that because crossword puzzles
2: i remember um my mom and dad grew up you know in the 50s and people were still using margarine over butter even though the war was over Mm -hmm. in fact my, my mom grew up with it and became so accustomed to it, she preferred it. Yeah. And when I was a kid, it was always margarine. It was never butter.
0: Up until about, I don't know, my mid-20s, I preferred margarine as mm. well because that's all that we ate. Yeah. We didn't have butter. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I got much older and I started really appreciating the saltiness that comes with real butter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you there's a nice local company that makes butter here that I really like. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, um, Holton Farms butter. Man, yeah. you'll pay like $9 for that block, but it people is decent butter.
2: People set up road trips to go get it because yeah. it's only available in a small part of northern Maine. It's like, like a drug run (laughs) it's true (laughs) i'm going to holton to get some butter who wants in
0: (laughs) a boy that i used to live with uh johnny emac used to drive about three hours to go get holton farms banana ice cream (laughs) it was just that was why he was going to holton yeah he was going to come back with ice cream it was going to be a day anyway uh so oleo Oleo was actually uh, really successful because there had recently been improvements in the manufacturing process, and it was made with uh, vegetable oils rather than animal fats, so it lasted longer, and because certain states had lifted their ban on yellow food coloring in margarines, uh-huh. it actually looked more like butter. Right. And so it wasn't so weird to see uh, this white blob being put on your food rather than butter because a lot of states had banned that because people were trying to sell margarine as butter. So fat and oil, essential for many recipes. And the public started saving fat whenever they could. And because they couldn't get it from a lot of sources, the the meat fat that came off when you were cooking, called drippings, uh, became the primary cooking fat for several years. People would save it, and I guess they still do. American Sausage, Uh, didn't do real well in Britain, but uh, during wartime, they noticed that the tins of it came with a thick layer of fat in them. Uh So in Britain, they were like, yes, and they started scooping that up and uh, became very popular because they would save that sausage fat for cooking other foods. So mayonnaise. It is the most popular condiment in the United States. I would have thought ketchup. And in uh, the 1940s, people were running out of eggs. So how do you make mayonnaise without eggs? Um, Now there are lots of ways, and I enjoy some very delicious eggless mayonnaise. But at the time, it was potatoes. Really? Potato mayonnaise certainly didn't get the same taste, but it did kind of substitute that, that texture that you were looking for that additional moisture that you mm. were looking for mm. so it became like a weird potato sauce with uh, some oil or fat needed uh, to be added to it and sometimes they would put a little vinegar in it to make it like this weird potatoy vinegary pile that they would put on their sandwiches
2: that must have made like potato salad really redundant let's get some <laughs> potatoes and then we'll put potatoes in it
0: well when i make fake chicken salad Mm -hmm. that is mixed with mayonnaise you put mayonnaise on your bread before you put the chicken salad on there
2: yeah i like my chicken salad sloppy i'm a sloppy why does
3: that sound dirty
2: (laughs) was it the expression that i i like my
0: chicken salad sloppy Sloppy. um yeah but like uh Chickens, you know, chickens weren't easy to keep. But if you kept chickens and uh, you had them as a source for eggs, the government would ration you chicken feed rather than rationing you eggs, which was really cool. And uh, it was encouraged. It wasn't always... Feasible. Some people just didn't have the space for it. Uh, but during wartime, vegetarians would receive more egg rations because they didn't get the, the meat allowance. So for the people who didn't have space for chickens, what was the option? How about powdered eggs? Dehydrated eggs, it was cheaper and easier to transport. You mix it with water. Uh, the government said it was it was great when you mixed it with water and you kind of rehydrated. Mm. Uh, everyone else disagreed. No <laughs> one liked it. <laughs> I've never had it. It seems terrible.
2: Again, having a a post-World War II mother growing up, she tried to uh, convince us that powdered milk was just as good as regular milk. Yeah. Her reason was it was cheaper, and she was still in a rationing kind of uh, uh, mindset. But we hated it. And she kept trying to convince us that we couldn't tell the difference. And so she would even go as far as to when we finished a real half-gallon of milk, mm-hmm. she would take the mixed up powdered crap and pour it in there, and then put it in the fridge. Never fooled us, never. <laughs> nice try, mom.
0: Yeah, I don't think like again. There are lots of substitutes now that do a really good job. You know, I have a jar of fake egg in the fridge right now that I make scrambled eggs out of. It's it's great, uh, but at the time, powdered egg was the option. <laughs> And not awesome. Um, Although
2: it sounds delicious.
0: (laughs) Just a little sprinkle on top Mm. of your regular egg.
2: Right.
0: Now, cottage cheese. I didn't know about this. Uh, Cottage cheese, some people uh, kind of sold as a substitute for meat. Hmm. Now, I guess I kind of recognize this thought uh during the 70s cottage cheese was a very popular like diet food right and um i guess i guess i kind of see how it could be like meaty in a way it does have kind of a weird texture that Mm. that might satisfy some sort of banjo does not agree
2: no settle down boy okay we're not gonna feed you powdered eggs or cottage cheese relax
0: But sales of cottage cheese from 1930 to 1944 went up from 110 million pounds to 500 million pounds. Uh, a year. It quadrupled. Uh, The government even put out recipes that they suggested people follow uh, to make the most of this food that was rationed. And that's when you started seeing things like cottage cheese be mixed in with jello salads and uh, various fruits and veggies and such.
2: We came across some old McCall magazines. in Mm -hmm. in an abandoned house, and uh, they were from the 50s and 60s, and they're full of those types of bizarre recipes. In fact, one of the very first things we did when we launched the uh, Box of Oddities social media platforms was produce a short video recreating this, what was it, ham jello thing that, Yeah. yeah, we should repost that.
0: Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, you can find it on our YouTube channel.
2: Sure, sure. Sure. But they'd have to look for it.
0: That's true. I think it
2: was the first thing we posted. I
0: think so, too. Kraft Mac and Cheese, a.k.a. Kraft Dinner. Love it. So, uh, of course, we, we've we all had it. Uh, but it was very important for the average American and Canadian family uh, struggling struggling through those years of food rationing. Craft dinner was actually made to help the public during the Great Depression, but it became crazy popular during wartime. Again, it's easy to transport. It's easy to rehydrate and make edible. Uh, Plus, I find that it's one of the most oddly comforting foods is just like garbage mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. Like I want it sometimes, Mm -hmm. and I will have a box of it by myself. Thank you. Enjoy your day. <laughs> so, uh, in Britain, one meat, two veg, it was a whole thing. And uh, it was really hard to find uh, those meats during wartime. So, under pressure, the British government was importing meats from other places. Um, some were more successful than others. So, corned beef. Uh, was imported at this time. Now, corned beef is one of the few things that I think about, like, as a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I haven't had meat in a really long time, but every once in a while I'll think about corned beef because I loved that when I was a kid. Um, It was just so salty. And uh, apparently people were kind of meh about it, but they'd eat it. But... Others, like a species of snake mackerel that was imported from South Africa, what? people were not having it. It was called Snoke, and uh, the, the American and British public did not see that as a suitable substitute for food <laughs> at all. no. <laughs> Thank you. Enjoy your day. What
2: What was it exactly? Like snake some, mackerel, like a weird fish.
0: Yeah, but wow. it was just too different for the British palate, and uh, was not a thing.
2: Was an organ meat.
0: What <laughs> What became popular <laughs> in Britain at that time? Spam, mm. uh, of course, not first choice of most people, but it was filling, and uh, it was easy to substitute your regular recipes with this thing.
2: And and the name spiced ham—that's that's where they they got the name spam. Mm-hmm. I really resent that Hormel, in their latest advertising campaign, is trying to convince us that spam stands for sizzle pork and mmm. That's a bit of a stretch. Who pitched that at the <laughs> ad meeting? Here's what we're going to do. Spam means sizzle, pork, and mmm.
0: Listen, everyone's got to do what they got to do. Marketing's an important factor in, in selling your tinned meat.
2: It's it's like when Kentucky Fried Chicken changed the name to <laughs> KFC and tried to convince us that it stood for Kitchen Fresh Chicken. <laughs> No one bought that. I think that ad campaign lasted a summer.
0: Something like that, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, about uh, 150 million pounds were used in the war effort, uh, making spam a cornerstone of the troops diet. But also, uh, it said that they used spam to lubricate their guns and (laughs) waterproof their boots. (laughs) So...
2: (laughs) Are you hungry? Yeah, but I have to lubricate my weapon. So
0: it became very popular for a multitude of reasons. And there you go food substitutes during wartime.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Mm. And spam, of course, uh, surplus spam became a a real popular favorite with um, Papua New Guinea residents after the war. Cannibals. They really liked it.
0: Oh, they said that it, that it was, like, yeah like a long pig. I've never seen a reliable source that, that shows that, that that's the case. It's just something that you've heard and, yeah, well, and you continue to say as yeah. though it's fact. I mean, that's pretty much the premise of this show. This, that's the show. Don't get me entirely wrong.
2: entirely the premise of this show. <laughs> we have zero to, to very little credibility. Um, we just tell each other stories. <laughs> that's true. I could not quote or cite a source on that. It's just something that I remember hearing over and over again growing up.
0: Right. Which... I mean, you heard a lot of things.
2: I did. I was told that powdered milk was better than real milk. Right. That so was we, a lie. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be more careful in the near future. <laughs> and now, that thing in the middle. I love reading through the Freaks group page, Freaks, a box of oddities podcast group. And it's it's still entertaining to me when I come across comments from people who had no idea it's a podcast. <laughs> They're kind of like, what? Wait, this remember, is a podcast? And just
0: like... Well, welcome. Yeah. I hope you like the podcast. Please check it out.
2: <laughs> Jesse posted, today someone called me a, quote, beautiful demon and said it was supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> What's the weirdest compliment you've ever received?
0: I actually commented on this, uh, that a an ex coworker once called me wonderfully weird, mm. uh, but he was drunk at the time, so...
2: You told me that you loved being married to me because it was like I wasn't even there. Yep. It's like I'm alone. I love this. (laughs) It's a very unique relationship that we have. Number five, Sam says, I was once told that I looked like a fat Tom Hardy. Fuck it. I'll take that as a compliment.
0: Number four, Katie says, I was told I was prettier than a pair of brand new snow tires. (laughs) Not sure how to take that.
2: Wow. (laughs) Samantha said in my early 20s Working in a hotel An older man checking in said You remind me of my granddaughter Can you recommend any good strip clubs? (laughs) (laughs) And she says Do your thing dirty grandpa (laughs) Uh,
0: Number two V writes A random telemarketer With a very thick Indian accent Told me that I sounded delicious (laughs) When I asked him what he meant He said Like Justin Bieber (laughs) What does that even mean?
2: Number one, Ashley writes, an older lady at the grocery store after seeing my two kids in the shopping cart told me, in all seriousness, you must have a magical womb. Oh. Yep, it's magic.
0: Okay. And as a bonus for (laughs) you, I love this one from Bree. That shirt looks nice on you. Your butt doesn't look like a shelf now.
3: (laughs) The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
2: You know, one of the things that has brought us together, Kat and I, with you, is our love of learning strange and unusual things. And sometimes we ask ourselves, Where's the next great story going to come from?
0: That's where the Great Courses Plus comes in. We are obsessed.
2: We love this streaming service. It was founded on the idea that education should be accessible to everyone. They make it possible to learn from some of the brightest minds out there about things that interest you.
0: Professors from the best universities in the world, like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, experts from National Geographic and the Smithsonian, these people are teaching you you the things that you're interested in.
2: And we think you might be interested in this particular course. There are hundreds to choose from, but the Black Death. The world's most devastating plague. You can take a course on this and learn all kinds of interesting things. This 14th century plague killed 75 million people over 10 years. And did you know there's a whole section on those bring out the dead guys? Really? Yeah. That was uh, not a sought after profession, but it was quite lucrative because they knew how They were at
0: risk. how
2: dangerous it was. For
0: sure. I had a minor meltdown when I first signed up because I don't know where to to start <laughs> women in history the celtic world susan b anthony going the devil which is about the impeachment of 1868 monsters within which you know what that's about mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. parasites. parasites. there are courses about living well staying fit as you age
2: i'm interested in tai chi that's something i'm going to take
0: how to play chess
2: you can unlock a world of knowledge with The Great Courses Plus. And right now, they're giving Box of Oddities listeners a special limited time offer. A free month of unlimited access to their entire library.
0: Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com box.
2: thegreatcoursesplus.com slash box. Start your free month today.
0: Expand your brain stuff with us. That should be their new motto.
2: Expand your brain stuff.
0: Yeah, with us.
2: The Great Courses Plus dot com slash box. And as always, we'll include that link in the show description.
3: All stories on the box of oddities are true. And some of them
2: actually happen. We were talking about um, voices from beyond the grave uh, in an episode not too long ago. And Monique sent this message to us my dad passed away in august from a stroke hours after doctors took him off life support and just after his heart stopped my sister called me but when i picked up the phone there was crackling and interference and my dad's voice came through saying hi mo before more crackling and then my sister's voice came in i had speakerphone on and my husband also heard him loud and clear whoa how about that huh wow good story mo thanks
0: Ugh. That's one of the things that I think uh, would probably make me lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> like, my, I'm so auditory anyway yeah. that I think hearing my dad's voice would just throw me into, like, a, a, a for-real moment.
2: Yeah, yeah. I had my, – my mom, you know, I've talked about this. She passed away a long time ago, 23 years ago yesterday, actually – and I woke up from a nap not long ago, and I, you know, that, that bleary, half-awake kind of mm. state that you're in, yeah. and it felt like somebody was holding both sides of my face. I swore I could see my mother holding my face in her hands until I totally woke up, and then I was like, wow, okay, that was, that was a vivid dream.
0: Wow.
2: One never knows. Today, we're going we're gonna to talk about um, weirdness throughout history
0: awesome i like it
2: historically weird things and people okay i'm gonna start with this this guy his name was uh, robert liston he was a surgeon in the 1800s and he was known as one of the fastest surgeons alive
0: is that a good thing i mean is that like the goal is to be the fastest at that time when you're talking about surgery
2: yeah at that time apparently uh there was great pride taken by uh dr liston in how quickly he could amputate limbs oh and it was you know i think he had some sort of an indoor record Uh, he, he did a number of them all at once and the reason was that they preferred quick amputations is because anesthesia As we now know, it didn't exist. So patients were awake during the procedure. So make it as fast as possible. Got it. The shorter, the better, so to speak. Liston was performing a leg amputation one afternoon, but he worked so fast that he accidentally cut off two fingers on his assistant's hand while he was sawing the guy's leg off. Both the patient and the assistant died later of gangrene. Oh. Most likely due to the fact that he never washed his, sh- his saw. They sure. just, they didn't do that back then. So he had one patient, but two fatalities. Oh, wait, no, there was three. No, Yeah. There were doctors and spectators there. That was often the case in the old Victorian operating theaters. Mm-hmm. And they were pretty tightly packed together. During the procedure that when he cut off the guy's leg and his assistant's finger, he accidentally pulled the saw back and it was very close. It swiped by an elderly doctor who was observing. Mm-hmm. And the blade sliced the fabric of the doctor's suit coat open. And the doctor thought he had been cut open, uh-huh. not just the fabric of his of his suit, and shock set in and he died from a heart attack.
0: Oh my God. So he
2: so Doctor Lister killed three people in one operation.
0: Whoa.
2: Congratulations, doctor you must be proud
0: so okay um, that's amazing and if like if speed is a thing why don't you just chop the limbs off rather than hacking them off what's the what's the benefit to hacking rather than chopping a Cleaner
2: cut I would think uh, if you, you mean like hack it off with like an axe
0: no no just give it like one good chop like, ha,
2: like a guillotine for, for legs. Exactly. Okay. I, I think it, it had to do with splintering of the bone. What they would do, at least uh, during the uh, Civil War, I was just reading a book on field surgery, actually, because, well, I'm I'm that guy. Um, when they would take an arm, for example, mm-hmm. first they would cut with a knife through the flesh. Mm-hmm. They would peel the skin down like five inches or so past where they were going to saw through and save that skin. They would oh, saw so they through could, the bone.
0: So they'd have something to cover yep. it up with. Oh, yep. okay. That makes perfect sense. And they would
2: wrap that back up and...
0: <sighs> I still think chopping's better.
2: <laughs>
0: Plus then... ha ah!
2: Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. You get to do that. Yeah. Let's talk about the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. This was weird. Um, the marathon was a complete disaster. The, <gasps> the first place winner um, came across the uh, finish line in a car.
0: I actually I've read about this and I have almost done an entire episode about this because really, really you could. This yeah. is a bizarre bullshit <laughs> ragamaruct.
2: Is that a word? No. I love it though. Um Ragamaruct.
0: It's, it's nuts.
2: So here's what happened. They held the nineteen oh four Olympics and the marathon was was taking place. The first place finisher crossed the or the finish line in a car, the guy in second almost died from eating rat poison. Uh, the fourth place finisher was dressed in pants and shoes and took a nap by the side of the road for part of the race.
0: I I almost think it's a shame that you're just glossing over this because this story is nuts. So
2: well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into a little bit more detail. Okay, here. the first place finisher, Fred Lors, uh, hitched a ride in a car to the end of the course. This is according to BuzzFeed. Um, he was struck with serious cramping of his legs. so he got out he, he got in this car and just hitched a ride. and he got out shortly before the finish line and then jogged across it, which which fooled many of the onlookers. He claimed later that he just did it as a joke. It wasn't really he was he wasn't trying to cheat. Yeah. Huh? Second place finisher Thomas Hicks. They gave him the -the state-of-the-art performance-enhancing drug of the time, which was uh, egg white and uh, arsenic. Yeah. And, well, cramping set in there. Sure.
0: (laughs) Probably not in the legs, though.
2: Yeah. No, not in the legs. (laughs) But it did hurry his step along. It quickened (laughs) his gait. He came in second. Fourth place finisher, uh, his name was... Andorin Carbajal, he was a Cuban national who raised money to attend the Olympics by running the entire length of Cuba. So he, he, he runs the entire length of Cuba. He collects all this money that he needs to go to the Olympics and compete in 1904, but he gets to the States and gambles all the money away. So he shows up for the race in his suit because he didn't... He
0: doesn't have any like running no, clothes. No,
2: but another runner uh, used a knife and cut his pants into shorts.
0: So that was nice teamwork. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it.
2: And then during the race, he got hungry and he was jogging by this roadside orchard and he decided to have a bunch of apples. And uh, I guess the apples, some of them were were past prime. And he was stuck with uh, struck with stomach cramps and had to sleep it off. So he took a nap. And he still finished fourth,
0: right. And if I remember correctly, it was incredibly hot. Like all the yes. the day of this race was like unseasonably hot. And everyone was just like on the verge of dying, all of the runners. And then you add in uh, food poisoning <laughs> and rat poisoning and car cheating,
2: yeah, car cheating. I know. And it was so dusty, too. They, they said that the, because it was so hot and, and, and dry, the roads were really dusty. And it, uh, it made it very hard for anybody to even breathe, let alone compete mm. in this <laughs> Olympic event. During World War II, the Polish army enlisted a bear as a soldier. Awesome. Yeah. Well, they found this bear. It was a little bear cub. And his mother had been killed by hunters. Aww. And so this little cute cub was just hanging out on the side of the road. So one of the soldiers took the bear in and named him Wodzstek, and he was trained in part by a civilian uh, refugee. Uh, Wodzstek was eventually enlisted as a soldier in the Polish army in order to uh, get him on a British transport ship. They even gave him his own paybook, serial number, and rank. He was a private. He did pull his weight, though. Um... I can't say I'm on board with this. <laughs> he he helped transport supplies, including heavy boxes of ammunition. But he was allowed to sleep in the bunks with the other soldiers and had a fondness for beer and cigarettes. So he was a popular bear.
0: Now I'm 100% against this.
2: After the war, he was placed in the Edinburgh Zoo, where he lived out the rest of his life until he died at the age of 21. Wojtek, the beer-drinking soldier bear.
0: That sounds like the nickname of a boy that I would think is incredibly cute. Soldier Bear,
2: <laughs> you're my little Soldier Bear. You're my
0: little Soldier Bear.
2: Mm. So Violet Jessop, okay, she survived the sinking of the Titanic, which I mean that's a great it's story, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I was on the Titanic and I lived, but she wasn't just on the Titanic and survived that. She was also a stewardess aboard the RMS Olympic, one of Titanic's sister ships when it collided with another ship in Yay. September of 1911. The Olympic was was damaged, according to BuzzFeed again, but it made it w- its way back to port with no casualties. Then six months later, she boarded the Titanic. And we know what happened there. Then after that, she became a stewardess for the British Red Cross and served aboard the HMS Britannic during World War I.
0: Violet, do not sail!
2: There was an unexplained explosion... Uh. Uh, Causing the boat to sink, Jessup had to jump out of the lifeboat she was in in order to avoid being sucked under by the ship's propellers. She suffered a head injury in the process, but despite all of this, she returned to work for the same shipping company, White Star, for about four years. Wow. If I survived the Titanic, I don't think I'd even take a bath. Again, I would just shower.
0: The tall bath?
2: The tall bath. (laughs) Something a little bit more recent, not much, but... uh, 1962, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, tensions were at peak between the then-Soviet Union and, and, and the U.S. Soviet Vice Admiral Vasily Arkhipov was on board a nuclear sub near Cuba. They were unable to pick up any incoming radio signals, so they thought war had broken out. Oh. But they weren't sure. So they didn't know whether or not they should launch their nuclear warhead from the submarine toward U.S. mainland.
0: I would say air on the side of caution, not guess.
2: Well, they had a really scientific uh, way of deciding. Uh, They had a vote among the three officers on whether or not to launch the nuke.
0: No!
2: Arkhipov was the only one who said no, and so because it wasn't unanimous they didn't nuke the United States. That's how close that came. Whoa. Well done, sir. Golf clap. In 1983, during the Cold War, a single Soviet lieutenant colonel by the name of Stanislav Yografovich Petrov avoided nuclear war by correctly identifying a false alarm with uh, the Soviet missile detection system. Um, The Soviet missile detection system said that there were five incoming... Uh, missiles mm-hmm. from the United States when in reality it was a freak occurrence involving sunlight reflecting off high altitude clouds and it confused the satellite system. Whoa. So it told them that there were five incoming missiles from the US. Now, Petrov reasoned that if the US was was initiating a nuclear war, they would go all in and it wouldn't just be five mm. missiles. Um, It would be many, many more. So, against military orders, he determined it to be a false alarm, preventing a retaliatory, retaliatory launch by the Soviet Union.
0: Wow, that's really amazing. Yeah. Petra!
2: Well done, sir. I'm into it. So, about the turn of the 1900s, the Wild West was really developing this mystique and allure. Of course, you know, Buffalo Bill had his Wild West shows Mm. and people just... It was romanticized by dime novels.
0: Nothing about that sounds nice to me. I don't understand how it could be romanticized. Like, oh... Everything's dirty, and you're going to be killed at a card game.
2: <laughs> and you have Ooh. to drink really crappy whiskey out of a bottle. Right?
0: No, yeah. thank you. Um, Plus, what's the point of those shutter doors? What I mean? Yeah, that's
2: that's an excellent point. That
0: doesn't keep the flies out.
2: And there were plenty of them, right? In the Wild West, because there was horse shit everywhere. You know what
0: I do like though? Those slightly raised porches, cute, cute, oh, yeah, cute. Yeah.
2: The boardwalks. Those are very nice. Mm.
0: Just what? so you can get up out of the horse shit,
2: really palisade nevada was one of those quaint wild west towns at the time actually it wasn't wild at all it was a quiet little town and the transcontinental railroad opened in 1869 and passed right through palisade now a train conductor had stopped at palisade and he mentioned to some of the locals that the big city passengers that were on the trains going through these little towns on their way to San Francisco or Mm. wherever, were often really disappointed that all of the towns that they went through were just these quiet little hamlets and it wasn't the Wild West like they had read about in these dime novels. So people from Palisade decided that they would uh, stage Western-style shootouts in the streets. (laughs) Everybody was in on it, even the U.S. Cavalry and local Native American tribe. They would stage battles against each other for the entertainment of the passing railroad travelers. This is so weird. <laughs> yeah. And and when interviewed, they asked you know these people why they did it because they weren't making money off of it. Right. They said they just wanted to pull one over and get a good laugh on the city folk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gotta love that.
0: That's amazing.
2: And finally, did you know that at one point, the makers of Pepsi had the sixth largest military in the world? No. Here's the story. The vice president of PepsiCo attended uh, an exhibition, an American exhibition in Moscow back in uh, 1959. It was part of an effort to convince the Soviet Union of the benefits of capitalism. Um, Apparently, Pepsi was a huge hit. They loved Pepsi in the Soviet Union. But it
0: makes sense. It's sugar water, <laughs> and they were dying because it's cold all the time.
2: Soviet money. Here's the problem. Soviet money was not generally accepted worldwide at the time. Oh, okay. So the Soviet Union bought billions of dollars worth of Pepsi by trading submarines, military ships, and a ton of vodka. Whoa. For a brief period of time, the Pepsi Cola Company... <laughs> had the sixth largest military in the world until it sold all of the ships and submarines for scrap recycling.
0: That's incredible. I want so much to go to that part of the world. I it seems so um just full of history and things that uh, like I don't know. Like there are some places that of course every place but here is foreign to me, right? <laughs> but there are some places that seem more foreign than others. Mm-hmm. And I think the further that you get from, like, the romantic languages, the more foreign it seems to me. Sure. Um, and and Russia's one of those places. Russia just seems like it would be so uh, exciting and unique and just the buildings and, I don't know.
2: Very exotic.
0: Yes, please. By,
2: by our I interpretation. I would love to go there.
0: Thank you. Enjoy your day. There
2: are very few piece, places in the world that I would not like to go. I know. But we have so much to do, sweetie. We need to get busy.
0: And yet we're planning another trip to disney
2: what's <laughs> wrong with us <laughs>
0: it's it's that uh eating around the uh the world at epcot i just yeah, can't get I away know. from it that fried cauliflower in morocco Woo, girl
2: every time <laughs> just want to uh mention that if you would like to support the box of oddities you can do so by going to our website theboxofoddities.com, and uh subscribe to the premium channel You get a bunch of cool stuff for that. For example, you get the episodes a day early, you get them ad-free, you get a special bonus episode once a month.
0: And you've got that uh, back channel so that we can chitty chat about neat things.
2: Also, we uh, very soon will be releasing the Bijou Theater show on video um, to the back channel and the premium subscribers only. So it's a good time to to sign up. Again, go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. There's a link right there.
0: Also wanted to mention, we are super excited about tootling our asses down to Nashville later this month. We're going to go see Jim Harold's campfire live at Zany's.
2: Yeah. This is Jim's very first uh, live show, and he's become uh, a friend of ours, and we just want to be there to see him kill it.
0: Absolutely. Super jazzed. Uh, Jim's podcasts have been downloaded over 40 million times. So you know you want to see this show. Maybe you want to come join us yeah. for Jim Harold's Campfire. Yeah,
2: we're just going to be hanging out there drinking beers.
0: Zanies in Nashville, March 24th. He has not asked us to t- say this, by the way. No. Zanies hasn't asked us to promote this. No. We're just super excited about we, the
2: show. We, we love Jim Harold and we love Zanies. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. For real. Yeah. Anyway, um, we look forward to seeing you next time.
0: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
2: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the
3: box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved.
1: Despite the predictions of the future, not everything will be sent over the so-called Internets. Some things, like packages and laboratory samples, will always rely on the U.S. Postal Service. The finest network of mail carriers ever assembled to deliver goods in Soviet-era white trucks with no license plates. That's why the Box of Oddities now has a secure mailing address where you can send us things too big for the internets. You'll sleep easy knowing your parser will be guarded around the clock in a highly secure facility staffed by some of Maine's most trustworthy hourly employees. Many are actually awake during their shifts. Just send those packages and letters to this address, The Box of Oddities, 499 Broadway, Box 164, Bangor, Maine, 04401. That's 499 Broadway, Box 164, Bangor, Maine, 04401. The Box of Oddities mailing address. The smart way to reach out and touch someone without actually touching anyone. This offer void in areas with no postal service, packages with animals, human remains, or anything containing less of them will be refused.
2: Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where
0: a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus... Tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find triviality on all your favorite podcast
3: apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story